Turn in your Bible, please, to Judges chapter 8. And we have now to take up a new section text in this record of the book of Judges. We are now at chapter 8 and verse 28. And we shall read for this morning these verses 28 through 35. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jerubbabel the son of Joash went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name is called Abimelech. And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash his father in Oprah of the Abazes rites. Abazes rites. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baal Beareth their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. We turn there in a moment. Would you stand with me please again and sing with me number 521. Out of the deeps, O Lord, we call While guilty fears oppress Do Thou with ear attentive hear The voice of our distress if thou our sins severely mar and strict account demand, O who of all the sons of man 
before thy face shall stand. But Lord, tis thine to spare and save with mercy souls to win. For mercy binds the grateful heart and makes it fear to sin. We trust in Thee, in Thee, O Lord, is full redemption found. Thy mercy pardons every sin and closes every wound. Thank you and be seated. On the last two weeks, we have looked painstakingly close into the personal sin in which Gideon fell. The sin of making that ephod. And we looked especially in those messages at the Hebrew words of verse 27 and saw in them the horror and tragedy which this single act wrought in Israel and on Gideon's own family, which we shall learn more of in chapter 9. Before I move on this morning in our text of study, which was announced and read in your presence, I want us to pause ever so briefly and consider this question in the light of those studies. Why has our God chosen in the breathing out of his revelation, you're familiar, I know, with that New Testament word that the scriptures are, it's translated in our Bible, inspired, it means God breathed. Why has our God chosen in his breathing out of his holy revelation, why has he chosen to leave us detailed records of the most heinous and revolting blemishes on the records of his greatest servants. Why has God chosen to give us records of the most heinous and revolting blemishes 
on the records of his greatest servants. Some would say, and rightly so, that these things in our Bible, as much as anything else, these things are designed to be a testimony to the divine origin of these scriptures, that they are indeed true. No human author, they say, no human author could ever resist the temptation to edit out these appalling scenes. Indeed. David's heinous crimes of adultery and the murder of his most faithful servant for his wife. Solomon's gross immorality and his faithless idolatry In the face of all God's blessings. Alas. Peter's horrendous blasphemy. And unimaginable apostasy. Who of us would not have hidden such dark grievances. Well away in casting the record of these otherwise glorious saints. But yet here they are, left to the searching eyes of generations of saints. Here they are. And why? Well, certainly it gives evidence to the divine origin of this record. But I would ask again, but why? What use are they to us, God's people? Well, blessed old Rogers in 1615 has offered us help with our query. He suggests at least three functions which these records serve for our soul's advantage. Dear old Rogers said, but seeing God hath for sundry causes and in diverse respects left the infirmities and blemishes of his servants in the scriptures to be known of us, I will briefly note and set down some of them for you. And so he begins. Number one, he hath done it partly for our benefit. And to teach us our duty. You see, our benefit, he says, thereby is that if at any time we should fall into some grievous sin and despair of God's mercy, yet that we may stay and uphold ourselves by the examples of men like Gideon and other such, who, fearing God, did yet fall dangerously 
and recovered themselves again. That we, knowing that, we may in a like case receive hope, a pardon likewise, if we call ourselves home again by repentance. In other words, says Rogers, when we as the saints of God ourselves have fallen into some heinous calamity of sin, we're likely to say, oh, there were never any of God's children that fell so and offended as I have done so that we may justly fear there is no remission nor pardon nor hope for us. Therefore, when we shall hear of the infirmities of the godly, the clear knowledge of this much availeth to stay us from despairing. Hallelujah. Oh, I say, he goes on and says, I say, it serveth also for prevention of deadly fear after falling into sin, not to cause any presumption in sinning, but to give hope when sin has taken its toll. Oh, could I say to you, never a saint, never a saint, never a true born again saint has ever been cast down so deep God could not draw him up out of the mire and set his feet again on a solid rock. Surely David was right to cry out as he did. Cry out in the words of Psalm 51. Surely he was right to cry out and say, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me truly from what mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sins. I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before thee. We read these words this morning. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And here in this psalm, you go on down, verse 9 through 11. In this psalm, you see the psalmist crying out under the weight of the guilt of his sin and the shame of it all. But it's this same one that cries out in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forgive not his all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities? Who healeth all thine diseases? Who redeemeth thy life from destruction? Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy? Oh, he knew what it was to know God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. And he cried out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. He redeemeth thy life from destruction. 
He crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. Says Rogers, the Lord put these, left all this in the record. He laid out their sin before us so that we could look at that and not despair and realize there's mercy in the living God. There's mercy in the living God. Look what these saints experienced. The psalmist cried out over his sorrow, his saint, sorrow for his sin. But then he blessed the Lord. Blessed the Lord for mercy. Surely this is one of the purposes, says Rogers, for him leaving these blemishes in the record. Surely that is one purpose for God's leaving the hindrance, the, the heinous grievances of these sins, but then he gives us another. Number two, he says, it is that we hearing how some Rare people in ages past have fallen. Seeing how some rare people, Gideon was a rare man. And people in ages past have fallen. We should be more suspicious of ourselves. And more wary that we slip not into the common evils of the time that we live in. <laughs> Seeing we are much weaker in faith and grace than they were. Oh, surely. You say, I'm a New Testament saint. Oh, I don't think you've taken down a nation of Midianites. <laughs> Rogers said, these records are left here to make us suspicious of ourselves and wary that we slip not into the common evils of the time in which we live, seeing we are much weaker in faith and grace than they were and therefore are like more easy to forget ourselves and to fall grievously unless we count it our happiness to labor and endeavor by all means to preserve, persevere in righteousness to the end. And therefore we are like to find it is as hard to recover ourselves again as they did. And indeed the bitterness which they tasted in their falls were enough to deter us from following them though we were sure to speed at length. But few look at the bitterness, but look only at the sweetness and are deceived. Oh, says, says our Pastor Rogers, it's left in the record so that we grow suspicious of ourselves. Oh, if they fail. If they fail, what are we like to do? Let us watch at our heart's door, lest sin crouching there 
take us unawares. Thirdly and finally, our dear brother Rogers suggests another cause why God hath made known the blemishes of the faithful that lived in former times is to teach us our duty towards our brethren. That if we hear any of them to have fallen into any grievous offense and afterward when it cometh to our remembrance that they take such a deep conceit for so dispensing displeasing God and lay it so near their heart that they fear it cannot be forgiven them. When we see a saint, when we hear of a saint that has done this, they've fallen and they've fallen so deeply that they're in a state that they don't think God can even forgive them. When we hear of them, I say, I say, Roger says, I say when it is thus fallen out, we are taught by this our duty. And that is to encourage and help to uphold them in meekness and with our exhorting of them and persuasions to rise up and return again. We are to comfort them when we see them repent and to bear with their infirmities and do not condemn or forsake them Good things being found in them, remembering ourselves who would be glad to be helped up when we've fallen rather than to be ashamed, forsaken, and left ourselves. To this end is that of the apostle spoken, brethren, if any be fallen into infirmity, Galatians, you that are spiritual, restore such a one. Oh, <laughs> Roger said, these are left here for us to see that we might be reminded of our duty toward our brethren. Oh, the, we should imitate our blessed Lord who said in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 2 and 3, you know it well. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break and a smoking flax shall he not quench. Oh, so tender is his compassion that this prophet cried out yet again in another place in chapter 40. So tender is his voice that he cried out in Isaiah 40. In verse 9, O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God will come with a strong hand and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His work is before Him. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. Oh, He shall gather the lambs in His arms and carry them in His bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. I'm just telling you, He's always ever gracious.
He's always and only ever gracious. These blemishes of these blessed saints are left in this book to admonish us concerning our duty to our brethren. Surely these records of the grievous falls of his best servants will lead us to be like him. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14, For the law is fulfilled in a word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not Consumed one of another. Oh, so much more could be said on this theme. But I wanted only this morning, as I said to you at the beginning, only to take a, a brief pause in our studies and give consideration to these thoughts for our mutual edification. Why did God leave these records? Much is to be learned. Much is to be learned. But now, having arrived at last at these final verses in the record of Judges chapter 8, these closing scenes of that great servant of God, Gideon, I fear that the time will allow me only that our considerations this morning will reach no further than those first few words in verse 28 and 29. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness. Forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. For those of you that like to try to summarize my comments in my sermons, in an outline, I do often provide outlines. I don't necessarily keep to them myself. But I try to furnish you with an outline. So I will give you this. As a broad outline of these final verses, 28 through 35. I will try to summarize our comments from here to the end somewhat in this outline. I hope to show you in these eight verses two major headings, two major points that I will summarize under two major headings. I do not know how long it shall take me. But I give you the headings at the outset. Number one, I would like to address our hearts to the marvelous magnanimity that can be found in the fruit 
of just one man's godly influence. The marvelous magnanimity that can be found in the fruit of just one man's godly influence. And then secondly, in the finishing of these verses, I want to bring to our hearts the magnitude of the malignity that can be found in just one generation's declension. On the one hand, there is the marvelous magnanimity that can be found in the fruit of just one man's influence. But then there is the magnitude of the malignity that can be found in just one generation's declensions. I will begin only this morning with this. The magnanimity the marvelous magnanimity that can be found in the fruit of just one man's godly influence. Or, if you prefer to say that in a less technical way and cast the thought in words that put pictures in your mind, if you prefer it that way, I give you the title of my message. How long is your shadow? Or, what a long shadow is cast by just one man who stands this tall. What a long shadow. Forty years is cast by just one man who stands this tall. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more and the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. What a long shadow. Some of the words here in the Hebrew will help us to capture the scope of this man's influence. There is that word we have translated in verse 28, subdued, ketal. It means to completely finish. <laughs> Gideon by his labors under the direction of the Lord, completely finished their evil on the land. Subdued. And then there's that wonderful word, quietness. Brother John and I have come to a place in life that we've come to love that word, quietness. It's the Hebrew word, sokot. 
And it means to repose. In some places, to rest. But I like this use of it best. It means to be still. Just to be still. And Israel, verse 28, the country was in quietness. And then there's that wonderful word speaking of Gideon himself in verse 29. It said that he went and he dwelt in his own house. Yoshab is the Hebrew word. And it means to remain. <laughs> it, 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 it indicates the word has the sense of duration to it. To remain in quietness. <laughs> Just looking at these words and tying them together, we're able to get a great picture of what it is exactly this man has done. Because of him putting these words together in their translation, we may say that Israel remained quiet with a subdued enemy for 40 years. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, bless the Lord. Remained quiet, the scripture tells us, with a subdued enemy. For 40 years. Oh, the marvelous magnanimity that can be found in the fruit of just one man's influence. He has laid down a long shadow. Such was the unceasing Horror, by way of contrast, such was the unceasing horror under which all of Israel had lived for seven tedious years that this description conveys the most startling and con startling contrast that is imaginable. Says one commentator, this invasion of this Arab hordes into Canaan every year was as alarming and desolating as the eruption of the Huns into Europe. It was the severest scourge ever inflicted upon Israel. And both it and their deliverance from it under Gideon lived for centuries in the minds of the people of Israel. And if you want proof of that, way over centuries later, in the writing of the psalm, psalms, psalm number 83, is a psalm about God's vengeance on His enemies and crushing His enemies. And among all the other things named there, when you get to verse 11, he says, Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb. Yea, all their princes as Zeba and Zalman. Israel hadn't forgotten these days. Nor the deliverance God wrought. 
So great was their sorrow and so great was their blessing that centuries later they had not forgotten it. And all of this was accomplished by the agency and through the faithfulness of just one man, Gideon. Oh, for 40 years, peaceful and profitable commerce was conducted in the marketplaces of Israel. For 40 years, public councils were convened and civil order was maintained and Jewish homes thrived under the blessings of God and with joy. But most of all, above all of that, the worship of their covenant Jehovah was carried out unmolested and in sacred safety. For 40 years, all because the shadow of one man cast over the land for 40 years. Oh, that's a long shadow. That's a long shadow. How long is your shadow this morning? How long is your shadow? Well, I will next endeavor on next week. I can't go there today. But I will next endeavor to ask and answer this question. What kind of man is this that would cast such a shadow? From the scriptures now, not my imagination, from this holy record. What kind of man is this? Or more specifically, what may such a man as this be found doing to yield such glorious results? He's a solitary single man. What kind of man is this? What is this man doing that would cast such a shadow for so long? By the grace of God, we'll take that question up on next week. Stand with me, please, again. Sing with me again, number 529. God, wert thou severe to mark the deeds we do amiss before thy presence? Who can stand? Who claim thy promised bliss? 
Jesus. But oh, thou merciful and just, thy love surpasses thought. A gracious Savior has appeared, and peace and pardon brought. Thy servants in the temple watched the dawning of the day, impatient with its earliest beams, their holy vows to pay. And chosen saints far off beheld that great and glorious morn. When the glad day sprang from on high, auspiciously should dawn. On us the sun of righteousness, its brightest beams have poured. With grateful hearts and holy zeal, Lord, be thou adored. And let us look with joyful hope to that more glorious day before whose brightness sin and death and grief shall flee away.